Welcome back, everyone, to another Slab Stocks YouTube live show. My name is Aaron, your host, joined today by Nate once again. And we are here for a huge discussion. This was the craziest weekend in sports cards I think that I've ever seen. And I think I've said that about three times in the past, like, four <laughs> months. So Probably just, three times in the last month. Probably, honestly. just kind of keeps on getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we got a lot to talk about. So let's jump into, into the show today. Thank you, everyone, for joining. If you want to submit a question for next week, please go into the description of this video and click on the Google form. You can submit a question for next week, and we'll take it live on the show. But to start off for today, those of you that follow us on Instagram at Slabstocks, I'm sure that you've seen the post from this past weekend. So Golden Auctions had their elite auction ending this weekend, January 30th and 31st. And there were some monster cards in there, first of all. Um, the 1986 Fleer Michael Jordan rookie PSA 10s, those aren't like super duper rare. Like, yes, they're rare in relativity to the amount of Jordans out there. Like there's like 17,000 or something graded of the card and only 300 are PSA 10s. But like 300 PSA 10s, like you can come around them sometimes. Well, two ended on auction this week were $738,000 each. The prices before that were like 300K tops. And that was like two, three weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago. What was it at the height of the Jordan documentary? It was 100K at the height of the Jordan documentary. It dropped down to 60K after the last dance. And now it's up to $738,000, which is huge. And that was probably the most notable sale because of the fact that it went up so fast. Like literally two weeks ago, this card was like 300K. And a week before that, it was like 200. And then before that, it was like 150, which set an all-time record like a month and a month and a half ago, maybe. Um, so absolutely wild. People were going bonkers on Instagram. Uh, our post got shared like a thousand times, which was insane and really cool to see. And that's not all because today I recapped the highlights of the entire auction from the weekend. I put 12 cards in here, 12 cards that I thought were the most notable for different reasons. And I want to talk about those. So first up, Anthony Davis, logo man, auto one of one from national treasures, rookie BGS nine sold for over a million dollars. So if you remember the Giannis from 2013 sold maybe, I don't know, five months ago, four or five months ago for $1.8 million. That was obviously much more than the Anthony Davis. And I heard some people saying, oh, maybe the AD sold too low. In my opinion, Giannis cards are obviously worth way more than AD cards. So it makes sense that the Giannis would sell for more. Plus, I think Anthony Davis going from the Pelicans to the Lakers and everything. And I know that some people don't care. Obviously, when it's a rookie card, that he's in his old uniform. But personally, I think it does affect the value a bit. You know, if Giannis is in Milwaukee for life, like that is a huge card forever, you know, being in Milwaukee for life. But the fact is, is that another card sold, sold over a million dollars. That was actually the second highest selling item in the auction behind a card that's on the next slide. So next up is the Zion Logo Man, one of one from Flawless. This was pulled by Firehand Cards, who used to be known as the Truth 17, for those of you that were around like 10 years ago like me. On YouTube, he pulled this Zion Flawless Logo Man one of one. This card got graded immediately by PSA as a nine. It started circulating around on like TMZ and other huge media sites that this card was expected to sell for 750K. Now, I don't know if that was Ken Golden giving estimates on what he thought it'd sell for or other people who just overshot and didn't really know what demand would be there for a card like this that's not autographed. But 750K seemed way too high to me at the moment based off of what, you know, obviously Logoman Autos have been selling for for other players. 
AD here specifically. I know that this happened at the exact same time, but you know, it's hard to imagine a non-auto sign from Flawless selling for close to a million like the Anthony Davis signed one of one auto who won a championship already. So the Zion sold grossly undervalued from what was spread around TMZ and other media outlets, which I think was a pretty big shock to most of the card community or not a shock to the card community, but kind of like a, Hey, like maybe let's pump the brakes a bit on this, like new stuff. Like just cause it's new doesn't mean it's going to sell for almost a million dollars. But in the bottom left here, that's the highest all time sale ever for a Kobe Bryant card. That is the Topps Chrome from 1996 Refractor PSA 10 that sold for $460,000. I remember when that card was like 130 k like three weeks ago. So that card exploded. And that's a perfect coloring card. Uh, for those of you that know the 96 Topps Chrome set, it greens extremely easily. Like the refractors in the base, if they're not kept in uh, climbing control conditions, they just turn green and Kobe looks like the Hulk. This card is very amazing coloring right here. So that obviously contributed to the sale. Now, the two middle cards on the bottom threw a lot of people for a loop on Instagram today because the Luca Gold Prism Auto numbered out of 10, 9.5 sold for almost 100K, while the non-auto PSA 10 Gold sold for 800K. So the Auto 9.5 sold for an eighth of the price. Now, a lot of people say that the Prism cards and the ones that are signed at Lulu were signed by Luca's mom which maybe that contributed to this card selling for 100K versus the 800K in Luca for the gold non-auto. Like what if we saw Trey Young uh, gold auto versus non-auto gold? It might be a little bit different. Who knows? But I think that's kind of in line just with uh, how – so first off, I think that is a huge gap. I just want to make it clear. I think that's a massive gap, one that probably isn't warranted. But I will say that the just general consensus, I think, is when it comes to prism cards, people would rather have non-autos than autos. And that's just how it goes with that. I don't think like that makes sense that it sold for more. That much more, I don't know, but it makes sense. Um, now, assume assume they're both PSA tens. Does that affect? Yeah, I, I think PSA I mean, ten of that is that. Think, does that add an extra fifty thousand? Oh, of I thing? think it adds an, an extra hundred k actually. I think it probably doubles in price. So and so maybe that, that, that gets a little bit better. It's a fourth of price instead of an eighth of the price. Right, but I still think that you know it's a huge gap, and I, I thought that that auto would maybe sell for closer to two fifty k. Maybe it is the whole Luca Mom auto thing that was holding a lot of people back. Maybe it's the fact that the picture picture is ridiculous. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe, but uh, the bottom right one, while it, it doesn't look like that, this is like a card that many people would like pause on. It made me pause for sure because obviously it. I'm saying pause on it given that you don't know how much it sold for. So it sold for $161,000. It's a Kobe Bryant Tops Finest 2004 White X Fractor 1 of 1 BGS 8.5. So first off, that's not a 10 and it sold for 161. That's huge. Secondly, it is not even close to a rookie card, which is the biggest like wow to me is that that's like a a non-rookie, you know, was an eighth ninth year card that sold for 161k. That proves to me that not only are rookie cards like the ones you see all over the screen right now doing very well, but there's huge legs for non-rookie cards as well. And anyone that like, you know, turned their nose up to a non-rookie Kobe one of one within the last five years are definitely kicking themselves now for not grabbing a card like that. I think that's just kind of how we're seeing the market go now is that these non-rookie cards are holding extreme value and gaining extreme value because if that was, I know they didn't have one of ones back in 96 for Topps Chrome, but if that was a rookie, that'd be like a $2 million Kobe card. Correct. So I just think that, especially for guys like Kobe, who 
you got some numbered cards, but not a lot, you're going to see some really high values come out of those early 2000 cards for guys like Kobe and mid year cards for like LeBron and stuff. All right, on to the next slide. So got a little bit of a mix up going on here versus just the first one was all basketball. So first thing is that on the bottom middle, you got the Mickey Mantle PSA 8 that sold for 1.61 million. That was the highest selling item in this weekend's auction. So that came after the PSA 9 sold for 5.2 million to Rob G. What was this, this one? This is a PSA 8. Uh, I'd say very well centered looking at from just right here. But and maybe a little off top to bottom. But it sold for 1.61 million, which is an all-time high sale for a non-nine Mickey Mantle. Uh, card and that was the biggest seller of the weekend i think it makes sense after a 5.2 million dollar sale of a psa 9 but the top left is a curry national treasures rookie patch oh number five that almost hit a million dollars i think it's pretty clear that collectors and investors are like really big on curry i don't know if that's why or i don't know if it's because like i heard patrick ryan say this on instagram a, a little bit ago like oh all the silicon valley bros are like gotta get their california boy you know like, i don't know if it's because of that but you know, Curry cards are getting mad love with the, you know, the six figure cards here. And especially you see the tops Chrome gold for 492,000, the BGS 10, which is a pop one uh, down in the bottom middle. And then we'll go bottom left, the MJ that's from a uh, molten metal. That is a titanium number dot 40 PSA 10 sold for $369,000. Anything Jordan's going absolutely insane right now. Uh, you can literally look up any grade 86 Fleer card, any grade 85 Nike uh, any grade, you know, star 84, all of them are just exploding in value as well as the high grade inserts and stuff and even low grade inserts. But uh, Jordan just completely dominating per usual. And then top right, Mahomes, I think that's an insane price for that card. $861,000 for an NTRPA number five. I want to check as I'm in the midst of talking because I know that Rally Road is IPOing a Mahomes number five as well. And they already set the value on that. So let me see if I can pull that up quick. As we're in mid discussion here, so yeah, they have okay, dude. This is insane. So this is a BGS eight, which I know is not a nine, but they are IPOing a BGS eight with a logo patch just like that out of five, the exact same card, but it's three out of five for two hundred forty k. And they set that price about I don't know two weeks ago, two three weeks ago. So I'd not be surprised if that thing sells out in seconds on Rally Road. And then honestly, like one of the most notable cards to sell in my mind was this Luis Robert. Red Refractor, oh, number dot five, 9.5 for $137,000. It is not close to the highest selling card. It's not close to the highest selling baseball card. But to see a card of a guy who's played one season in the MLB selling for 140 k almost, that's pretty darn notable to me. And I know that the baseball market is not very talked about, is not super hyped. Um, you know, for us personally, when we post, you know, market updates on baseball cards, it's the lowest interaction of any sport. So that's at least how it goes with our audience. And I feel like that's kind of how it is in the whole marketplace in general right now. I think it's a pretty notable sale to see a Luis Robert red refractor auto go for 140K. Nate, what's your thoughts on that? Well, for starters, there was a Topps Chrome that sold the other day. So let me pull that up real quick. Yep. What's up, everyone? Just seeing everyone in the chat. Bazooka Tom, welcome. Charles, welcome. Michael Brown, good to see you. I always love seeing the chat. Sherry, welcome, Series Collector. Now, oh, wait. Uh, uh. Uh-oh, Nate's stumbling. Yeah, I'm not finding it very quickly. <laughs> um, in fact, I'm not I'm not finding it. Maybe Glad it, you guys uh, enjoyed that rundown. Maybe it got shill-bitted and 
not paid for or something because it's well, not. Just explain what it was if you have any idea. Well, okay. The last Luis Robert Topps Chrome ride sold November 15th for 9000 is PSA 10 sold for $9,800. There was one the other day that was supposed to be being sold. I can't find it now. Um, assuming that it did not make it to like $20,000. I don't know what it made it to. Uh, it's crazy to me that his top rookie auto might be one, one seventh, if not less than uh, his Bowman Chrome. I know Bowman Chrome's obviously king of the crop, and uh, people love kind of like Prism. People love Topps Chrome cards without the auto and Topps Chrome Sapphire more than they love the autos. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Bowman Chrome is flipped. They love the autos more than they love the uh, Bowman Chrome. Uh, Bowman Chrome non-autos, but 140000 for a guy that hasn't played and plus some of these other prices on here, especially the other slide where you had some of those prices where they were just uh, like the uh, the Kobe. You know, 300000 more than the last sale. Um, that type of stuff. It almost seems to me like there's people that don't do research and just are really rich and jumped onto golden auctions because they'd heard of it, saw the cards, and just spent whatever they wanted. Or hedge funds that are making their own hedge fund asset collection and are just paying absorbent prices without actually doing any research. That's what it seems like to me. I could be wrong. People might be doing their research. I doubt doubt the hedge fund specifically would go in without doing research, but some of these prices, 140000 specifically for Lubob, is insane. He is not worth... He is not worth $140,000 for a red refractor, and I bet you a million bucks that they will get destroyed on that card unless he turns into like a top five player in the MLB, which I would not bank on. I agree. I I want to go back to what you're saying about the hedge funds and stuff because I was going to say a, a lot of what we're seeing this past weekend is a lot of people have a lot of money that didn't get in early they're trying to scoop up rare assets now because they see how other places are scooping up rare assets in the card space. And they want to be a part of that because they see what type of money is being made. Who was I talking to today? Oh, Scott, uh, Scotty B's cards. He had me on for an interview today and he was asking me about this. And I was like, basically what I'm thinking is that everything is scaling up right now. People see the Jordan go from $100,000 to $300,000 and they say, I can make that drawing go from $300,000 to $500,000. Then you're going to get the even richer people who say, I can take that drawing from 700 k to a million and a half. You know? And I think what we're just seeing is all this rare, um, rare transactions, all that stuff is just getting scaled up out of, you know, out of the reach of obviously normal people like us. Like, there's no way that we're dropping 500 k on a Steph Curry. Um, but... I want to make a quick comment. I saw a serious okay. collector say something about uh, people backing out and, and whatnot. And, and, and Michael Brown was talking about shill bidding. I want to say that I know more. that golden auctions is different than eBay. They run credit checks on every single person that bids. They make sure that everyone that bids is has the ability to buy these cards. That's not to say that all of them 100% go through the transactions, but I would take these sales way more you know with way more weight than an ebay sale that just goes down on ebay because anyone can hop on there and complete a sale in some yeah. sense but not anybody can jump on golden auctions yeah, and do like, that like there's no way i was hopping there's no way i would be allowed to hop on golden auctions and bet 140k on luis robert like 
but I could on eBay if it was ending, you know, like that. So I, I, I would take these with much more, much, much, much more weight than a normal eBay sale for sure. Not to say 100% of these are going to go through. Maybe something falls out, financial reasons, whatever. But these are pretty pretty darn stinking close to what, what they should be, um, I'd say. And, and getting back to the big money talk, I, I don't know when. Like this was clearly, I'd say this was the biggest jump we've ever seen across the board in high dollar cards. Like seriously, cards going from 150K to 400K in, in one auction, which is crazy to me. But I just think it speaks to the volume of of seriously wealthy individuals and funds getting involved in the card space for different reasons. And I don't think it's going to stop. I don't think that we're going to see these particular assets drop in value, barring some serious changes in what happens in the economy or what those companies go through, whatever it might be. But it's nuts right now out there. And I want to move on to the point of how does this affect... What's up? One second. One second. One more point I want to bring up because the only the only thing that throws me for a loop is the Luis Robert. Because if you look at it, and I'm looking at the other posts, Anthony Davis, obviously super young, won a championship. Uh, looks like he's going to lead the Lakers with LeBron to another championship. One-on-one logo man, auto. That makes sense. The Zion, that's a bit rich for my blood, but it makes sense because people have so much hype on Zion. The Kobe's make sense, even though the one's a 2004, right? A rare Kobe's a rare Kobe. Um, the Lucas makes sense because of how much hype, even though he hasn't won anything, I, I think 800 is probably a bit absurd, but I can, I can understand it. I guess if you go to the next slide. Yep. Right. People love Steph Curry, the two Steph Curry, and he changed the game completely with the way he plays the game. So it makes sense. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is about to play in his second Super Bowl. Uh, that makes sense that that price would be there because people are banking on him being the greatest of all time when it's all said and done. The Jordan makes sense. The mantle, obviously first year tops, uh, one of the top like 10 players of all time, if not top five players of all time. That makes sense. And then after all of that, you get to Luis Robert who had 30 good games and 30 bad games last year was never a top five prospect or like a top one prospect. Uh, he's not Wander Franco or anything. A uh, huge amount of strikeouts, um, and it's not a one-on-one, it's a one-on-five, and it just it, it blows my mind. It blows my mind that all this money was spent, and then all of a sudden somebody was like, you know what, I'm going to gamble away $140,000. I wouldn't consider any of these other cards a gamble unless somebody like Luca or Patrick Mahomes gets hurt or Zion. The Lewis Robert is a huge, huge gamble. Yeah, and I think if you were to like sort all these into like low risk, medium risk, high risk, I think that the highest risk would be the Luis Robert and then probably the Zion right after that. But I think that's a huge gap between Zion and, and Luis Robert because the Zion's a game used logo man. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. I, I think it's insane. And I also think that when I was looking that this Luis Robert was like the only card that sold over a hundred K that wasn't like, you know, the name of Brady mantle curry jordan lebron that type of thing you know mm-hmm. so it, it was very crazy it's a very very crazy to see but i really want to move on to what does this mean for you all because we can talk all we want about how this big money's coming in and what what's doing for them but we want to talk about how it affects you because that's way more important to you all and us too so i just whipped up this little instagram post which is going to go up after this stream since the two mj sales this was two nights ago, Saturday night at 11 p.m. After 11 p.m. on Saturday night, 
13 tops Chrome LeBron PSA 10 rookie cards sold for a total of $438,000. Average of $33,700, which is an all-time high. Return on investment of 8% over one week, 107% over one month, and 781% over a year. So while, yes, this card is probably out of reach for like a lot of us, and you might say, oh, well, this doesn't affect me because I can't afford LeBron. Well, this is just the easiest thing to compare right away, really quick, is like, how does that LeBron get affected by all these sales? Because people see the MJ PSA 10 go for that much. They're like, well, I know that LeBron's lower or higher pop, but you know, it's still LeBron's biggest rookie card. I want to get that. And after that, then you got the millions of people like us who can't afford that LeBron card that's now $34,000. So then that affects everything else. So basically what I'm trying to say is this weekend was absolutely massive, not for the reasons that big money is spending millions of dollars, but because low pop scarce cards in the marketplace that you might be holding on to are now worth a lot. I mean, I saw the 1985 Nike Jordan promo rookie PSA nine. It just sold for $9,500 on auction right around the same time that the Jordan Fleer 86 PSA tens sold for $730. Those Jordan 85 Nike PSA 9s were like two and a half thousand like a month and a half ago. And I bought mine a year ago for $300. And it's one of my favorite cards in my collection. Now it's nine and a half grand. And that's because of how all this affects the rest of the marketplace. More money gets pumped in. Those people put more money in the industry. It gets spread out between everyone in the industry who holds cards. And it just keeps building. I mean, the reason why the hobby is so big and the industry is so big is because people believe in it who are here. You know, like... It doesn't get this big if people sell stuff and take it out. It just doesn't. I mean, what what blows my mind is that you see the amount of people I see on Twitter that I've followed for years that don't talk about, you know, had had never talked about cards. I've fallen for years for their baseball, this or that, never once mentioned cards. And now I see multiple guys joining in, looking at cards. I'm not saying they're rich, but you're getting all of these people from sports that are finally paying attention you know, I bet you there's front office guys doing it. There's going to be, you know, owners, uh, Steve Cohen type guys doing it um, and so on and so forth down the line. You're just going to get every person that's interested in sports pretty much at this point. It's probably heard about cards at least and is thinking about starting. I mean, that's how it kind of happened for a lot of people are in it right now, or at least like how it went for people who got into it in the past. It's like, yeah, it wasn't that popular like four years ago, but like if you're getting into it, it's probably because you like sports and you think you can apply your knowledge somewhere. So why wouldn't an athlete or an owner or a GM, you know, those type of people get involved? I mean, in that? that's how I got into it. Exactly. Like you love you know, baseball. I didn't, I didn't necessarily even know, know anything about cards. Aaron knew about cards. I was just like, oh, if I was going to buy cards, I'd buy this guy. Or that guy. Exactly. Exactly. So it's it's nuts. It's really, really crazy. And uh, hey, for everyone talking about 2020 Series 1, I know at the very end we're getting into 2020 Series 1's talk. So definitely stick around. All right, moving on to a couple things before the question. So last week, last week Wednesday, was the fourth consecutive Slab Socks break, soccer break, that we hit a multi-thousand dollar soccer card, hit that Fati green on the right, insanely beautiful looking card. The box before that had the Fati, Holland, and Purple Ronaldo. Number out 25. It was a heck of a time. And uh, that brings me to the point. This week, we have two breaks remaining for this week. We are 50% sold out on these two breaks. It would be really awesome if we could, could get to that finish line by Wednesday. So if you're interested in joining our Slab Stocks breaks, Nate will be in-house on Thursday. Description link, slabstocks.com slash shop to order your spots. There's no limit on the teams. And uh, 
We're really looking to open up two of the best Bowman sets of all, or two of the best Bowman sets over the last four years for sure. And then some more contenders football and some mosaic football to get some nice value out of those. Hopefully you can grade some cards. So really, really looking forward to that. And hopefully if you guys got friends that are interested in baseball or football, send them our way. Looking forward to doing that. And then lastly, every week, we just want to put the discord link here. Discord link is in the description. It's free to join market talk going down. Uh, lots of other stuff. E easiest ways to get updates from us too. So please join that. If you want to be a part of the slab stocks community. All right. This kind of, Wraps it back around to just what we were talking about. Question from Danny G is, with celebrities coming into the space, do you see them buying the regular Prism base or do you see them aiming for the rare serial numbered hard to get cards? What's the better flex for them? I just want to say, if the first 20 minutes of this show meant one thing, it would answer this question and say, it's the rare serial numbered cards. It is the cards that they can show and be like, look at this. I'm one of 50 owners that owns this. You know how back in the day, if you watched MTV like Cribs or uh, anything like that, or you know MTV like red carpets or whatever, they'd always have like some random actress with like a four thousand or four million dollar like diamond ring on her finger that's like that big, just so she can show it off. And you go to the MTV Cribs, and the guys would have, you know, uh, home theater, beautiful home theaters, or you know, twenty. $250,000 cars sitting in their driveway. This is going to be the new like flex for MTV cribs where people are like, look at this beautiful one of one Patrick Mahomes. I got for a million five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And that's not to say that regular prison base don't have a place in the marketplace because they do. <laughs> it's for all the people that can't afford those. It has a place for us pores. <laughs> it's got a huge place for the people that can't go and buy $50 $500,000 cards. So basically celebrities are probably going to get more into the space. I can't see them scooping up like a lot of 50 Zions and being like, look at my stack of Zions. Although they might, some people might go with the, let me build a couch on my prison PSA 10 stacks. So maybe they do that, but uh, I would be more inclined to think that they'll get into, to uh, buy up the rare cards as we're seeing right now, which is why I think we just saw like three X across the board on some of these super high dollar cards. This past weekend. Nate, go for this one. Um, so there was a question here, and it said – it's cut off a little bit. Oh, there we go. With all the goats going up, how come there's no talk about one of baseball goats and Ken Griffey, Ken Griffey Jr.? And so just to show you real quick, the thing on the right is auction prices, and I just grabbed a group of them. December 6th through December 14th was a little bit under two months ago. And you can see $1,500 to $1,800, uh, give or take a, a little bit. Um, and then you can see, obviously, the last auction price here of $4,550. So while nobody's been talking about it, the prices are clearly moving on all of the top guys in every sport. Not You, you might not hear about Ken Griffey. People might not be talking about it. But, oh, messed the camera up. Uh, I was pulling on the cord. Uh, but it has more. It's like triple in price in under two months, even though nobody's talking about it. So I don't know what to tell you. I know there's no talk, but there's price movement. What's up, Henry? I saw Henry say, what's up guys. Yeah, there is price movement for sure. I, uh, you really do notice that. I mean, I just posted today on 
the 2000 Tom Brady Bowman Chrome rookie PSA 10. Now, of course, Tom Brady has advanced to his 10th Super Bowl. And I would say going to the season, like, yeah, there's some people saying that the Bucs might make it, but I don't think that the general consensus would be the Buccaneers playing in the Super Bowl. So that definitely, I think, helped boost the value, but went from like 7K to 25K in the span of like two weeks. So, or 9K to 25K in the span. This is the, this is the Bowman Chrome. Bowman Chrome PSA that 10. Out, that started out last year or last summer at like fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, and do you remember when they were hitting seven and people were like, "Oh no way, that's real." That you know, it's way too much. Now it's twenty five. So, yeah, pretty pretty crazy on that. But I think it's you know you see the. So see are the- we gonna look back? Are we gonna look back and say this is so high twenty five four four five here for the Griffey? You know, uh, name any other guy you want to name. Are we gonna look back and say? Wow, we should have bought in then because it's going to be eight thousand in three months for this Griffey or something like that. See, the interesting thing is, is I just think it all depends on how many people come in, how many people come in, and how many people buy these things up to not sell them, because that's really what matters. I mean, you could have a pop report of you know five hundred on a card, but if some fund comes in and buys a hundred of them and puts into a fund that people buy shares in, and the values change as people buy shares. Those aren't going to get resold, those cards. They're going to sit in that fund. And that's really where cards get even more scarce than what the serial number is or what the pop report is. And I'm not saying that's going to happen really frequently at this moment, but it could in the future. It's gone up $500 in a day. I'm telling you, man. People, $500 in one day. Like that you LeBron. Buy it yesterday, you sell it today, you don't make any money because of 10% eBay fees, but you didn't lose any money. That LeBron went up 8% from that Jordan sale. Like it literally went up $3,000 because of the Jordan sale. The Jordan sold and people went on eBay and bought them for 3K more. You know, it's crazy. It's absurd. All right. This is an interesting question, one that I don't think is going to come true. But we have seen the increase for first-year Prism Optics Select. Do you see a time where first-year championship MVP, your card, see more of a demand? So I pulled up the 2000 Topps Chrome Kobe Bryant PSA 10. And the 2002 Topps Chrome Tom Brady PSA 10. These are significant because this is the first year that both of them won a championship in their respective league. Now, for me to figure this out, I literally had to go to Google and type in when was their first championship because the casual just really doesn't know that, I'd say. I mean, you could guess around a time frame, but to get the exact years, I'd say difficult. And for that reason, I don't think that it's going to become a thing. I mean... How are you going to split hairs on a card like that has no, no, you know, there's no insignia on it that says like, oh, first MVP, first championship. I don't think that this is going to become a thing. Um, the first year Prism, Optic, and Select stuff becomes a thing because those sets mean something today and people want the first run of that set. And everyone knows when the first runs of those sets are. 2012 for Prism and Select, 2016 for Optic. Very easy. You can buy any player you want on those sets that were in the set. I don't think that like people would be like, oh, Kobe won his first championship in 2000. I need that 2000 Topps Chrome card because honestly, that's probably one of the ugliest Topps Chrome cards I've seen made. I think all the borders are purple. Granted, it kind of works for the Kobe with the Lakers colors, but still. I don't know, Nate. Do you have different thoughts? I just don't think this is a real thing. I, I mean, uh, there's always trends that I guess we won't see coming until they're here. So... It could be a trend in the future. If you start buying them up and listing them as such, maybe it becomes a trend. 
but you'd probably yeah. have to have a lot of money to be able to sway the market like that. And honestly, like I kind of like the cards that the manufacturers have been producing now that are like MVP cards in Mosaic, NBA finalist cards in Prism. Like th- those finalist cards have been around since 2012 for Prism. And I think those cards are really cool. Um, that I think is easier because they're actually like identified as that. Now, no, they're not from the championship year, but like I, it's hard to see a large wave of people trying to, unless Nate said, unless people explicitly start promoting them as that, which makes other people explicitly promote them as that, who knows? I mean, I don't want to say it can't happen, but just doesn't really seem like something to me just because of like, it's not easy, I guess to say. All right, thoughts on leaving Redemptions in the case with the Panini or Top Sealed sticker versus taking it out and putting it in one touch? Does it affect the value if you take it out of the sealed case? Thanks, guys. Um, I'm not going to lie. I was not uh, I was not going to spend the time to look for cards that both had the sealed sticker on it on eBay and then also didn't of the same card to try to find the price. But we can just talk about it a little bit. Obviously... To get the sealed sticker, you have to have a redemption, which is the rookie autograph refractor that you're looking at here. And then when you send it in, they will send you this, the rookie refractor autograph of Bo Bichette with the tops sticker. For me personally, and this is going to be just a personal thing because it depends on what people value, I would prefer it to not have been taken out of that case. I know for a fact that only one person has touched this card now. Well, two people, Bo Bichette signed it. Somebody probably packaged. Okay, a number of people have touched the cards, but one less than what it would be if you took it out and put it into a magnetic case. And that means a little bit more to me, I guess, than it should. Um, but I would prefer it to be with the tops now sticker steel or the top sticker still sealed. Yeah, I mean, in the past, I've seen people say like, "Oh, get that top sticker seal because you know that it could be in better condition." But let's be real. I mean. There's probably good odds that it's not a 10 anyways if it comes from all the redemption handling and packaging and both signing and shipping it back. And, you know, like you could buy a top sticker sealed and it could easily be an eight or a nine, just like as if it was taken out of the case. Now, to me, the only reason why you take it out of the seal, unless you just don't like the look of it, is to try to look at it to grade. And if you put it back in without the seal and try to sell it, well, then maybe that's better odds, you know? So I'd say like, yeah, sure. Maybe there's a little bit of warrant to like spending more on it with the top seal, but I won't put too much weight on it. Um, obviously it's dependent on the card and the condition. So it's kind of hard, but um, I think this sums it up pretty well. If you're yeah. looking to resell it, keep it in the thing. If you're not grading it, if you're looking to just collect it, obviously remove the sticker or, and put it in a different case because that looks terrible on your mantle. Yeah, that, that looks stupid. Like, why would you display a card that's covering up half his head and, you know, an eighth of the card? Oscar, good question. Slab Sox Pro is going to be completely free when we come out with it. We're not going to be charging for any service. When it comes out. When it comes out. That's the key key thing there. Um, I think I've talked about it quite a lot for those of you who are regulars here, but we are still planning on doing it. It has been delayed quite a bit. Um, hit some really hard, big road bumps with our external data feeds, which we then had to backtrack on and then go forward from there. So we are making great progress at this point. And I, fingers crossed, end of 2021, quarter one. By the end of March, this better be in your hands. Otherwise, we done messed up. That's the plan. All right. With all the investing in seal wax, do we know 
how likely cards of today will brick together like some of the 90s cards. It seems more glossy slash chrome cards are the more likely they are to brick together. So while that is semi-true, I do know that cards can brick without them being gloss. Actually, I guess it is mostly glossy and chrome. Yeah, they're glossy cards, just not chrome. Uh, I guess let me cut to the chase here. So, I mean, I would not be surprised if the sealed boxes of today, if they're not kept in climate-controlled places, that, yes, they will probably brick. I opened some 2019 Optic, which are... And when he says brick, he means sticking together. All the cards stick together in the pack. And when I opened 98 Tops Chrome for our break, they all stuck together. I was very careful, took them all apart, and nothing was damaged. But it's very much harder to open the... Uh, the, the box at that point but i guess my point is is i would not be surprised because yes there are chrome cards yes there are glossy cards unless there was like some super innovative way that they're producing these things that keep them from breaking together or sticking together then maybe not but i would assume that they would unless they're kept in a climate controlled facility hey how concerned are you with warping so i had 2015 bowman chilling around the house um, not in anything, just sitting out, right, in a in a desk drawer. Uh, and you look at all the cards, and they're, if you can see my hand, they're like they're like that, right? Flat card. Twenty fifteen. I've ran into some similar things with like Chrome cards that have sat in a box for a long time. They like start to you know warp quite hard. I wouldn't be extremely concerned with them sitting in packs. I mean, I guess my biggest thing is this: is like. Please keep your cards if you have sealed boxes and a lot of money dollars in sealed boxes in a climate controlled facility versus just in a room that doesn't have air conditioning because then you're going to see problems. Um, that'd be my first suggestion. Second, I do think that they'll probably start to boast on them over time, but also we have to remember that Boeing isn't the biggest thing because you get in a sleep, get in, into a case, it kind of works itself back out. And as long as it's not like bent, actually, it mm -hmm. should still grade fine i mean i've never really sent like a card that's a u to psa but uh who knows what that do to it all right why do you think the 1999 pokemon first edition red cheeks pikachu psa 10 saw a major market correction over the last few months while the 99 first edition charizard psa 10 continued to rise in value with somewhat similar psa 10 populations do you see their value growing closer or will the charizard continue to be 30 to 40 times the value so if you look on that left side of the screen, on January 30th, this is the most recent sale for a Red Cheeks PSA 10 Pikachu first edition from the base set. Uh, the Red Cheeks is the rare, the more rare edition of the Pikachu. Uh, there was a Yellow Cheeks one. I think that they accidentally printed it as Red Cheeks to start, and then they switched the press because it's supposed to be Yellow Cheeks or something. I might be wrong on that. But basically, this one's way more rare. And on October 12th, it sold for 10600 So October was right around when... Uh, I talked about how hyped up that weekend was with Logan Paul and Logic and stuff. That was like the all-time high sale for this card. Pulled back a bit while the Charizard's still going pretty strong. To me, initial thoughts is kind of like what we talked about at the beginning of this stream is would a celebrity or a fund or someone super rich rather flex 100 Pikachus or not 150 Pikachus or one Charizard? You know, everyone wants the Charizard. People with that much money are going to want the Charizard. They're not going to blink at a Pikachu Red Cheeks PSA 10. So in my mind, that's why. And that's why the value is so different. But do I think there's some legs here that it might be a little bit undervalued compared to that? Maybe. 
Um, I can't say for sure, but I, I, I would say that's why it's just because, you know, the demand's so strong for Charizard versus a, you know, variation, almost Pikachu granted Pikachu is very big, of course, but it's not a hollow. It's not technically a rare, although it is air card because of the red cheeks, I suppose, but I'm not the best person to answer this question. I will say that I'm just providing a little bit of the knowledge I know, which is very little on this subject. There are much more people out there who know way more than me on this. So make sure to talk to people like that. But that's just offhand thoughts. Nate, you want to read this one? All right. Isn't this GameStop trading episode the same as what happened with the 1990 Fleer Jose Uribe? It's a good reminder that value is not necessarily tied up to performance of an athlete. If the collectors investors decide together to raise the price of a card, they can do so. So number one, I obviously have no knowledge of the Jose uh, Uribe uh, Fleer 1990. I'm just going to get that out of the way. But what it did remind me of was uh, that Luis Robert, and I see there's a Luis Robert over here, sharpshooter's big believer in him. I like him. I don't think he's going to be hitting for high averages or anything or probably hitting 50 home runs, but he might. He might. He might surprise me. That being said, Luis Robert for $140,000, right? That's not tied to his performance because he wasn't very good last year. He was good for a month and bad for a month. Um, Pete Alonzo last year, when he went from like $30 to $70 overnight, maybe that was tied to his performance because it was, uh, you know, he hit 50 home runs, but then you had guys like Fernando Tatis that were cheaper than the him at one point at that point and significantly better player in Tatis who played really well despite being injured. Um, and so you see it all the time, not necessarily just with Uribe back in the nineties, but today you see guys that don't necessarily deserve to be moving up 40, $50 in the off season from 30 to 80 that are not due to performance, but just from hype. And yeah. GameStop is the same way. I mean, Nay, how many times do we talk about that? However much someone has talked about, it's really what drives the market. You could be terrible, but you got enough people talking about you, and you'll be worth more than someone else that's better than you. <laughs> I mean, why do we see so many speculative plays be worth much more than people have already done it? You know. Hey, quick, quick! I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna comment on this real quick, and just I know we talked about it before, but I'm just gonna caution people from doing the eye test because the eye test. You could have looked at Keston Hira two years ago, and the eye test would have said to you, wow, this guy is a stud. Because I watch the Brewers all the time, and I said, wow, this guy's a stud. And then you dive deeper into the numbers, and you say, wow, if one of these two things happens, this guy goes from a stud to barely playable in two seconds. And it happened. He stopped hitting the ball as hard as, he, as, hard as humanly possible, uh, to put it lightly. And so... If you just rely on the eye test without numbers, you will get burned quite a bit. All right. Leads into another baseball. Ayo. So MLB The Show 21 is coming out on Xbox for the first time. Big news. Big news. Uh, for those of us that like playing MLB The Show but haven't been able to because they own an Xbox they bought from their buddy for a good deal like seven years ago. Uh, now that it's multi-platform, do you think that will increase the popularity of the sport and in turn increase the popularity of the baseball cards? Aaron, what are your thoughts? First off, that's pretty sweet to see. I mean, I've always been an Xbox guy. I've never played MLB the show in my life, but I know how much it meant to people who could play it on PlayStation. So it's cool to see it's on Xbox now. Do I think it will affect the card market? 
I mean, the only way that affects the card market is if people play MLB The Show come into cards because they play something like Ultimate Team, whatever the same thing is on MLB The Show. Because I've seen people who were huge in the FIFA spending a lot of money on FIFA Ultimate Team come into soccer cards. Now they invest in soccer cards and they collect soccer cards because it's physical and you don't lose them after a year. If that happens in baseball, then maybe. But I don't see any reason why Joe Schmo, who just hops on Xbox to play for fun, you know, would affect the market. Okay. But unless there's people out there who do come in because of the game. but And that's happened with FIFA. I'm, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. People that don't play soccer or grew up with soccer but have played FIFA might turn their attentions to soccer cards now because they learn it. Likewise, people from Europe that don't watch baseball at all might play some MLB The Show for some reason and then be like, oh, I know Fernando Tatis. He's on the cover, which is the second question. Also, will Tatis being on the cover increase the popularity of his cards? So I I think there's potential, but obviously it's a bit of a stretch. I agree. Michael Brown, I just looked at uh, Tom's story and I did not notice anything. Oh, I don't know if he's talking about his story on Instagram or his story in general. He might be talking about an Insta- uh, like his story in general. Because his story is, is they played FIFA, spent a lot of money in FIFA, realized that cards are better payoff, longevity to hit, got into cards now. And that can happen with others as well. Hey, quick. You guys don't like Hira? No. We love Hira. I think he's going to have a bounce back. I was just saying that if you watched Hira his rookie season in his cup of tea, you would have seen him hitting home runs to all fields and been like, wow, this guy really passes the eye test. And then when you dive into the numbers deeper, you said, oh, wow, you know, there's a couple things in here that are red flags that if they backtrack a little bit, he goes from MVP candidate to bench player candidate real quick. Um, And so that's going to happen with a lot of guys. And those guys are the, you know, the risky investments um, Luis Robert would be a risky investment in my mind. Kyle Lewis would be a risky investment in my mind. Um, you know, guys like that. Uh, guys, and then obviously you can tell who's not a risky investment. The Mike Trout's of the world and stuff. They pass the eye test type of thing. Yeah. All right, this is the last question on the slideshow for today. Nate, can you... So, for those of you that don't know, 2021 Top Series 1 checklist is out. Uh, this was actually my own question asking myself just so we could talk about it. Cause nobody asked it in the thing. Uh, and I didn't choose. It's a 233 player checklist, 230 player checklist. A lot of that is vets, obviously. Um, there's a lot of good rookies, a ton of good rookie pitchers, Nate Pearson, Luis Patino, all those guys. Um, but we didn't cover them here. We just covered position players that I thought had a chance, just even a chance to break out. Hey, and Casey Mize. Do you see Casey Mize as a rookie in this too? Yeah. Casey Mize, Nate Pearson. Yeah, I didn't I didn't take any pitchers. The pitcher list would just be as long, right? Right. People don't care about pitchers. Now you look at it and you I uh I categorize them by position. So we've got four catchers in Dalton Varsho, Joey Bart, Tyler Stevenson, and Kiebert Ruiz. Uh obviously Ruiz and Bart and Varsho are all from the NL West with the Diamondbacks, the Giants, and the Dodgers. Uh you've got two first basemen slash outfielders. Evan White has not played outfield in his career, but I think he will. But he's an incredibly good defensive first baseman, so maybe they won't move him off. Um, Ryan Mountcastle played mostly outfield last year, but is a first baseman also. So no, don't really have a true first baseman here, but they're not outfielders either, right? Um, and then you've got two light-hitting second basemen in Nick Madrigal and Luis Garcia. 
The only guy that could play shortstop in Andres Jimenez, uh, shortstop second baseman, but he's more of a second baseman. Isaac Paredes, who is a light-hitting third baseman, doesn't have a ton of pop, but has a good good contact. Alec Baum, who obviously everyone knows is a stud. Christian Pache, who is a defensive first over offensive outfielder, but I there is you know there is some upside there. Leo Tavares and Jesus Sanchez, who are meh offensively, but you never know. Something might click, right? And then you've got Monte Harrison, big-time power, big-time athlete. Things haven't clicked for him. And then the two best bets for big money in Dylan Carlson and Joe Adele. Now, there is a ton of depth here, obviously, a ton of depth here. But, but like we said, people don't buy catchers. So you can almost completely knock them out of the equation. Hey, uh, I think people will be buying – think of the market now versus then, though. Yeah, I can see people buying up Joey Bart and PSAing them. Joey Bart will be interesting to see if he can flip the script. Fair? Yep. Okay. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle and Evan White. Evan White is not a power-hitting first baseman, uh, so he's probably out of the mix unless they move him to center field, which he could definitely play. Then he becomes infinitely more interesting. Ryan Mountcastle, a fine first-base outfielder option. Um, Orioles aren't good, so that might boost his stock if he's the only good Orioles player, right? Uh, Nick Madrigal and Luis Garcia, I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole because they just don't seem like they're ever going to get power and power sells. Uh, Jimenez, we'll see, just change teams, you know, wild card. Paredes, maybe you can get some power at third base and then he becomes an interesting player. But really, it's Joe Adele, Dylan Carlson, Alec Baum, and to some extent, Pache are the four guys you're really banking on here uh, to carry this checklist so I like it. I just don't think there's as much upside as 2020 Series 1. There's more depth, but there's just not as much upside to my mind. I, I'm i not going to comment on the baseball side of it. I mean, that's your thing. and I, I trust you with all that. But you did spell Jesus Sanchez's name wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just messing around with you. Um, I think that this is an interesting set because if Topps – does something for the 70th year like they did for the 60th year. If we remember the 60th year, that was Mike Trout 2011 update, diamond anniversary cards, Cognac, Hope Diamond, all that jazz. Tops would be out of their mind to not bring back a set like that for the 70th year. I see that they have the emblem on here in the top right for the Joe Adele card. That's cool. They would be out of their mind to not bring back a diamond anniversary set. And I don't know if they are. I, sh- I don't know if that's listed on the checklist yet. I know that the names were, were released. I don't know if the parallels were released. But they come out with diamond anniversary cards for these guys, and maybe it's not called diamond anniversary. Maybe it's called something else. I think it could be a huge boost to this set, and that's from a card perspective. Nate talked about from a baseball perspective. That's a from a card perspective. I think it could do insane wonders for this set. And if, any, you know, if, if even three of these players hit big, that's a big that's a big set. I mean, well, that, and that's that's the thing is that there's so much depth here. You've got the Joe Adels and Dylan Carlson's and the Alec Bombs already, right? Yeah, they're gonna sell, they're gonna be your sixty, seventy, eighty dollar PSA tens. Uh, after that, if you can get one more guy to hit, that come, becomes a huge set. Yeah, so I agree. And and when you think about people buying boxes sealed of stuff, they want like three guys in there that they can grade. You know, three to four guys. And then if you're talking 2020 Series 1 with five right now, 
that's a big set, you know? Yep. So I think that if you can get three to four guys that people can actually like, uh, you know, always grade as if they were to be opening them or holding on to them as if people were grading them, that's really important for the set. And I, I like it. I like this set as a series one. If you think back two years ago, 2019 series one is probably one of the worst sets of all time. Kyle Tucker and Luis Urias rookies were like the only two guys out of that. So probably one of the worst sets of all time. To, to see two straight years of a really good series one is really cool. And also, are you surprised that Kirloff isn't on this list or is he on the checklist and you just forgot to add him? No, he's not on this list. He only played a, a, a single postseason game. I wasn't expecting him to be on the list anyways. That is true. I just saw a couple of people commenting that, so I brought it up. Uh, it, was, is, it was one of those things where maybe maybe they had him in. I'm more surprised that like Brent Rooker's not on this list. When, when did he debut? Uh, last season, some point, way more than, way and more than Jay Cronenworth. Didn't he play like all of last year? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, I don't, he's he rookie rookie he has, a, a King Ward just commented uh, about Cronenworth. Um, I don't know <laughs> what to tell you. Well, I guess here's my point: is like series two, are they trying to make it better than last year? Because they probably saw a sales dip. I mean, Luis Roberts, a nice rookie in there, but of course, of course, they have to. Yeah, but, and, and you know they probably have to hope for some good tops update because those two were atrocious sets this past. Wait, year. So, so let's think about this. Twenty nineteen tops update was pretty nice. You know, Vlad, you got some other guys in there like here on Senzel, but not not amazing. Mike Yastrzemski, yeah. So so <laughs> not amazing. Uh, think about this: you get this series one set, you get series two with guys like Kirloff and whoever else they didn't include in series one here. And then you think about a potential update with guys like Wanda Franco and a couple other prospects. Could this be out of the last three years, the best complete flagship release? 2019 was trash with series one, amazing with series two and meh with update. 2020 was good with series. Well, great with series one kind of trash with the other two. This could be the best, you know, well-rounded year of releases for tops. I mean, not only will you get Wander Franco, Right. But you'll probably get Andrew Vaughn. You'll probably get like Royce Lewis. Um, just uh, you know, a yeah. bunch of bunch of those guy types of guys that will be uh, ready to go. So, um, but I've seen some I've seen some guys that think uh, Torkelson's going to get called up, and I just I just don't think the Tigers and their timeline are going to waste a year of Torkelson. On because a lot of guys I don't think think about. Uh, we'll congratulate him in a little bit. A lot of guys don't think about the team's timeline. They're like, "Oh, Torkelson should be ready by the end of the year." The Tigers aren't going to be ready to waste service time on Torkelson by the end of the year, and so people are like banking on Torkelson being in tops update or Torkelson not being there to be the top prospect next year, so some people can uh, jump over him type of thing. I think I that's all. Let's all just uh, be thankful that Franco might be an update this year and hope for Torkelson Series 1 or 2. Series 2, maybe. Yeah. Next year, not this year, 2021. Yeah. All right, let's end the show with congratulating our guy, Slabstock Sam, getting a new car. Congrats, buddy. A lot of hard work paying off. And also, with that, $5 to Camp Kessum. Thank you, Sam. That $5 is going straight to Camp Kessum. For this week of donations, as we do every week at Slab Stocks Breaks and YouTube Lives. It's been a great time. Over $630, I think, already donated. I made last week's donation on Friday and really, really awesome. 
All right, everyone. That was a fun show. Yeah. A lot to talk about for sure. And I think, think that there's a lot to look forward to in the marketplace for all sports and all categories. This is not just basketball cards now, guys. This is everything. This is Marvel cards, as I saw a lot of you said in the chat that we didn't get to today. Marvel cards have been doing very well. You know, this is a lot how of are, uh, How are Game of Thrones cards doing before that new Game of Thrones series comes out like next year? You never know. You never know. And Michael Brown tossing in another five dollars off the mark that down on the list, and uh, I'll put it on the tomorrow's tally for us when we're breaking basketball tomorrow. With that being said, if you guys want to join Thursday's break with Nate, uh, slapsex.com/shop trying to fill up the last fifty percent of the spots. That'd be really sweet. So we can look forward to next week then for that. But uh, thank you all for listening to th- to today's show. Lots to look forward to. Like I'm saying, please head over to Slapstock's Instagram to join the discussion further than just our YouTube live. There's a lot of comments, a lot of people talking over there constantly. And uh, definitely join the Discord if you guys want to just talk with each other too and build a community. Uh, that's where, that's what we're here for is connecting people to sports cards and each other. So thank you all for watching. Really appreciate it. And we'll see you all next Monday, 6 p.m. Eastern hey, time. YouTube hey, I have, a, I have a Camry too. Aaron, what do you have? A Camry? Me, Michael Brown, and uh, Slabstock Sam have Camrys. Uh, what are you driving? Now I got an Audium oddball out. Audi buy A4, Japanese. Baby. Sheesh. What do you say? I said buy Japanese. <laughs> nah. What was what, is, is Audi German? No, that's BMW. No, Audi is German. Oh, it, Audi's yeah. German? Okay, there we go. Cool German car. All right, yep. guys. Thank you all for joining. We'll see you all next week, Monday, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Appreciate the support as always. See you guys.